Hi friend, welcome to the Quiet Connections podcast. Do you feel anxious and not good enough in social situations? Feel like you're weird, broken or don't fit in? You are not alone. Join Hayley and Stacey on a journey to quiet confidence. Picking up key insights to help you feel more calm and confident. So you can finally speak up, join in and feel like you belong too. Have you ever felt like you just can't get your words out? Like somebody talks to you and you just seem to freeze and your words get stuck in your throat. Well, in this episode, we are talking about how being unable to get your words out can be an anxiety response. Chelsea Gamache was diagnosed with selective mutism at the age of five. And she is passionate about sharing her experience, raising awareness and helping others who are struggling with selective mutism and anxiety. Chelsea is a board certified behaviour analyst and she hosts out loud the Selective Mutism podcast with her mum. And she also recently wrote a children's book about selective mutism called I Am Brave. I imagine that this conversation will be eye-opening for a lot of people who have experienced something very similar to what Chelsea describes within this episode. But you never had a word for it before. I found this conversation with Chelsea absolutely fascinating and I was surprised how much of Chelsea's story I could relate to for myself. And you might be too. So I invite you to join me in this wonderful conversation with Chelsea. I'm Hayley and you are listening to the Quiet Connections podcast. Welcome to Quiet Connections, Chelsea. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be a guest on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because you have your own podcast, don't you? Yes, me and my mom do it together. Um, It's called Out Loud, the Selective Mutism podcast. So I'm used to being on the other end. (laughs) And this is what you're going to talk to us about today, selective mutism. Yes. Because I think it's something that a lot of people, we don't know about it really. And a lot of Mm -hmm. us will probably experience it in line with social anxiety. Um, But we may never know that that's something that's going on for us. So perhaps you can start there and just explain a little bit about what selective mutism actually is. Yeah, sure. So selective mutism... Uh, First of all, I was diagnosed with it when I was five years old, Um, but we saw signs of it much earlier. I was always very shy, and I hate that word, but I was very (laughs) um, afraid of people, and I didn't like attention. Like, as a baby, I would cry if people looked at me a certain way. Um, So, first of all, selective mutism is an anxiety disorder, which is... um, Basically, when someone is unable to speak in a certain setting, it's usually at school when we first see that um, Mm. popping up. And this is despite them being able to communicate like regularly in another setting. So they might be very comfortable at home. They might even be very extroverted and outgoing. And then they just freeze up at school and they do not talk the entire day. Um, It can also be more everyone's so different it can be like oh they only talk to their peers but they can talk fine to adults or they the other way around Hmm. Um, you see all different variations but 
Yeah, for me, it was, I was more comfortable at home, but I was still experiencing anxiety at home as well, but it was a lot better. And then at school, I didn't talk to anyone unless there were certain rules. It was very, like, I had one person I would talk to, but it had to be just me and them. So if someone else could hear us, it wasn't, I wouldn't talk. And then I could also, certain teachers I could talk to as well, but it had, again, it had to be one-on-one. Yeah. I can so, so relate to that. What do you think the link is between social anxiety and selective mutism? Social anxiety. It's hard for me to pull the two apart. I know that mm. you can have selective mutism and not have social anxiety, um, or at least not considered social anxiety disorder. I think a lot, like the majority of people, I think it's it might be 90% of kids with selective mutism also meet criteria for social anxiety disorder so that's a big big amount yeah but you can have one or the other and again social anxiety is something that just isn't picked up on very much Mm -hmm. as well yeah and I think it's like it's so important for people to know about it which is why I'm like so passionate about spreading awareness because it's easily misunderstood Mm -hmm. um and I think if you don't know what it is it can look like rudeness or I don't know um disinterest yeah it looks like oh I don't care and I don't want to talk to you but it's actually like a fear response to all this anxiety you're feeling um yeah I think it's important to educate teachers and people who come in contact with these kids absolutely agree and so this this was my experience at school. It mm-hmm. sounds very similar to yours. That when I was in a classroom, when I was called upon in class, or you know, I, I would just freeze. I couldn't mm-hmm. literally just couldn't get the words out. Um, and I was the same in groups of friends. Um, I would just sit there silent, and I could only talk to people one to one. And I remember once there was this girl who was like. She wasn't necessarily my friend, but she was part of the group of friends. And she just started having a go at me about how she hates me because I'm so quiet. But, you know, I never had a diagnosis of selective mutism. I never even had a diagnosis of social anxiety. So, so yeah, how would you know that selective mutism is something that you're experiencing? Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of people... Um, describe like they really really want to talk but they physically feel like they can't so it's almost like there's a blockage in your throat Mm. or something or your body is not responding the way you want it to Um, there's also like if you look at the criteria it has to be a certain number of months or something like there's very specific criteria Um, and it can't be like the first month of school because it can be normal for kids to be nervous when they start at school. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's hard because you need to get like a good assessment and there's not that many professionals that are super um, familiar with selective mutism. So people end up on waiting lists and it's actually kind of hard. Like I'd say there's a lot of self-diagnosing because people are like, oh, that sounds exactly like what I am experiencing, but they can't go find a professional to do an assessment. Yeah, and selective mutism affects approximately one in 140 school-aged children, um, according to the Selective Mutism Association. It's pretty low, but I think it is 
very underdiagnosed. Of course, yeah. Um, For social anxiety, it's about one in 10 people that experience mm -hmm. that, that we would know of. So again, it's something that's underdiagnosed and a lot of people do experience social anxiety and not have that diagnosis too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, I guess, for me, people are always like it's some big mystery like why won't you talk why are you afraid to talk um and I think social anxiety for me was a huge part of it I was afraid of making mistakes or sounding stupid or being judged for what I said yeah um, I also did not like the sound of my voice I was self-conscious about what I sounded like and I felt like I couldn't control the tone of my voice very very well so if someone like I squeak some word out, someone would laugh because it sounds funny. Like it sounds like I am really struggling. Um, that would really freak me out. And I'd probably not talk again in front of them. Um, but it was all it wasn't just about speaking. And I say this all the time on my podcast because the focus is on speaking because that is kind of the biggest barrier I'd say that these people are facing who have that diagnosis but mm -hmm. there's other things going on um you're afraid to do things in front of people it's almost like you're on a stage and every day you're performing different tasks it feels that's what it feels like um, yeah so a lot of kids can't get up and go to the bathroom or they can't eat in front of other people um you see that very often yeah yeah so there's a real kind of similarity between selective mutism and social anxiety yeah it's hard it's like yeah it's like what came first the chicken or the egg type thing it's like I don't know which came first I almost want to say the anxiety um because I think I was born with um really strong anxiety from the moment I was in this world oh I was wondering if you were a highly sensitive child <laughs> oh yes we haven't even talked about the sensory issues yeah um I had lots of sensory issues as well and I I would say I'm highly sensitive <laughs> we did an episode on that and I really related with all of it but it's again it's hard to know like I'd say the anxiety makes it hard to speak in certain situations because it puts you in that freeze response. And then there's also like the feeling of people thinking you're going to mess up or you don't want people to judge what you're saying. Um, yeah, definitely. That's that avoiding that being that center of attention, I guess. Yeah, it's all it's attention is so aversive, <laughs> which I guess you get better at with exposure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell us about what's happening inside us when this selective mutism is happening? Yeah. Um, I, I know some people don't get these same symptoms. I think I was pretty severe on the physical symptoms because I would often faint or be at the point of throwing up because of anxiety. <laughs> um, I... It was usually when I was put on the spot, though, like I would have heightened anxiety going into school, but then maybe attendance or getting called on would just push me through the roof um, and I yeah. would shake and I would get all sweaty and my vision would go and I'd have to put my head down. Um, but I felt like I couldn't. It's the pressure of someone expecting you to speak that makes it hard to do so, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, that makes complete sense to me. I I can actually remember, you know, there was a couple of times where I'm like, I could put my hand up. I I really want to. I want to give the teacher the answer. I know that I have Mm -hmm. the answer. But because I am this, you know, this shy girl and it's expected of me not to speak, I didn't Mm want to like speak up and then have the attention. Yeah. And then it builds up because you get that reputation and then it's harder and harder to break um, because there's going to be a bigger response to um, you talking or doing something out of character. Everyone's like, oh, my God, she finally talked. And then that doesn't feel good. (laughs) It just kind of they feed into each other. It's so hard to. Yeah, I, I saw you post a behavioral cycle that yeah. kind of explained that. Um, and then it, there was something in it around when we stay silent, somebody often will jump in to rescue us. Yep. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Um, and I think they, it's a lot of the time it's parents and uh, they f- see their kid in distress and of course they're going to help them. That's the natural thing to do. Um, but that kind of continues the cycle of not having to face your fears and answer a question or speak up for yourself. Um, so yeah, they focus on that a lot in therapy, um, working with the parents, changing their behavior as well. And you see it with peers as well. Um, a lot of friends will try to help their, (laughs) their quiet friend by speaking for them. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But it doesn't help in the long run. Yeah, so so I'm thinking about um, you know the freeze response that's happening, mm-hmm. and I mean that's a neurological thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost like you get stuck, and it might take you longer to respond. So I think people get uncomfortable with that um, awkward silence mm. when maybe if you waited a little bit longer, which might seem unnatural, they might answer. Um, it's kind of waiting out the awkward pause <laughs> that can be hard. Yeah. But definitely. when you're in that freeze response, it's really hard to like calm yourself down and focus on one thing because there's so much going on. It does take time, doesn't it? Yeah. So I saw that you mentioned about the way that people react to you. So when you do speak up, if you're given a lot of praise, sometimes that praise mm-hmm. can be given in the wrong way. Can you talk yeah. to us about that, please? Yes. So you would think that praise is great. Praise is great. And it does increase behavior a lot of the time. But I think with selective mutism, it's putting attention on the child that is going to actually decrease the behavior, behavior maybe, or make it less likely to happen again. Mm. Because that attention can be really aversive and I think there's ways to praise someone that can be um more effective like you can do it like more discreetly like with just like a nod or like a thumbs up or you can talk to them after the fact and say like you did a great job reading today in class like that was awesome it doesn't have to be like over the top like everyone clap for her because she finally talked (laughs) that's actually not what we want (laughs) it doesn't feel good no we just want to be treated like everyone else and have it not be a big deal yeah Um, yeah we want to be able to like just talk (laughs) and move on yeah it's like yeah I've been trying to do this for a while (laughs) yeah but there's something about it like I always felt proud of myself like I felt like I didn't need 
everyone cheering for me like I felt like oh I did it like I finally did it that's awesome like that was enough for me I didn't need people (laughs) giving me a round of applause but everyone's different (laughs) so I was looking through your Instagram and you had some of these old I guess some old goals that you had when you were Mm -hmm. younger and you showed the little goal sheets um And one of them said about silly talk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What did that mean? Okay, so this is actually pretty common in people who have selective mutism. I don't know, like, the stats of it, but people will say, like, oh, my kid is using, like, a fake voice. Like, they're not using their real voice. So what I used to do is I would use, like, baby talk. Like, I would kind of revert my language back to, like, using grammar incorrectly. Like, I sounded, like younger than I was um and my the pitch of my voice would change um a lot of kids do this differently but that was how I did it and I try to explain it to people as um like it feels like it's not me so if somebody judges how I sound or what I say it's not really me it's like I'm protecting myself from feeling judged or something but it's also feeling uncomfortable and that's kind of what comes out when you're uncomfortable but you're trying to talk anyway um it can be hard to be yourself when you're under that amount of anxiety oh definitely so people are always like what do we do like should we be punishing this like should we be ignoring them and waiting till they use their real voice um and I just think it's hard enough for them to get that out that I wouldn't acknowledge that it's different from the regular voice. It's just the best they can do right now. And it will go away eventually when they're more comfortable. Yeah, that's a lovely tip. Yeah. There's a lot of kids that make like they pretend they're animals (laughs) or they, yeah, they won't have a conversation with you, but they'll meow. Yeah. I I have heard other people talking about using a a different voice as well. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I find find it very interesting. So talk us through what are you doing now? I mean, you've come a long way. Yeah, it's, yeah. I feel like I never thought I would be able to have a job at a certain point. It feels like so debilitating that you don't picture yourself like having relationships and like friendships and having a job, like an adult, real adult job, Um, even going to college. But I did do all those things. and it it's not easy everyone wants like a good answer on like how to overcome selective mutism and how did you do it and I don't really have a good answer it's just like I put myself in really uncomfortable situations that I didn't want to be in Mm. and I worked through them and it didn't look pretty it was messy and I made a lot of mistakes (laughs) but yeah I think therapy is super important Um, but you have to make sure you find a good therapist because not that they're not good therapists, but certain therapists don't have the understanding of selective mutism. And I think that's so important to have. Um, but I'm not really answering your question. (laughs) No, no, I I found the same thing with social anxiety as well. Um, but yeah, you, I mean, you've got your podcast. Yep. So I started a podcast. (laughs) It's been about a year 
And it's been amazing. I just love hearing people who reach out. That's like the whole reason we do it. Um, it's just exciting to have like a place where people feel less alone and they can listen to us and maybe learn from our experiences. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's absolutely beautiful. You're, you're speaking about something that isn't spoken about and <laughs> and giving that voice to people who just, you know, they can't necessarily express what they want to from where they yeah. are yeah so I it's great to have like a free resource for people to learn more about it um yeah. and share with their teachers and whoever else needs to be educated <laughs> uh, it's been really fun and we get really awesome people reaching out what are the other kind of myths about selective mutism that you want to take this opportunity to just <laughs> there's a lot of myths yeah the whole shyness myth is I know it doesn't bother some people who have selective mutism but I always hated the word shy because I felt like I'm not shy um and I didn't really feel introverted even though I look like the most introverted person <laughs> like at school or in situations where I'm not comfortable but I just it felt like that wasn't a good explanation of what was going on. And it felt like they're just like, oh, whatever. She's just shy. Um, mm. But it felt like, no, there's something bad happening to me that we're not acknowledging. Um, and I think it's kind of an excuse to like push it aside without addressing what's really going on. Yeah. And, and from a child's perspective, just being called shy, even a child mm -hmm. knows that that's not a good thing. And I think it just feeds into that cycle of that there's something mm -hmm. wrong with me. Yeah. And then you kind of want to hide yourself away even more. Yeah. It doesn't help <laughs> for sure. There's other, there's other myths like, um, it's not autism, although you can have both. It's, not a big one for me. I like to talk about how it's not just with children, um, even though I, I'm i not sure if it's still in the DSM as a childhood disorder, but I, on a lot of websites, it says it's a childhood disorder, which yes, we do see it more in children, but if you don't get treatment, you grow up. I don't know. Um, there's teens and there's adults with selective mutism and it's still important to acknowledge that and yeah. they still need help. Um, and I think part of that's access to treatment and it's not where it should be and there's not a ton of experts in every location in the world so people are not getting diagnosed and they're not getting the help that they need um, so hopefully that gets better eventually yeah I think it's another one of those things where it's not spoken about enough so people just don't know um, mm -hmm. and you know, I asked my partner if he knew about selective mutism and he's been a nurse for many, many, many years. And yeah, he was like, I've never heard of it. And, oh. you know, he said we, we only had like a month of kind of psychiatric um, exploration in his nurse training and that was all they're sent off with. So, yeah, I know it's I, I was a psychology um undergrad student and we it actually did come up but I think it was just like I don't know like <laughs> one little paragraph like in a textbook I was like oh my god it's in the textbook I, I want like, to talk about it, on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not like you get trained and yeah you have to seek yeah. it out and learn for yourself which is really <laughs> tough because so my short kind of 
um interactions with the mental health service was mm-hmm. I mean firstly when I was 19 I actually overdosed because I got to the stage where I was like I just don't see how, how I'm going to fit into the world or mm-hmm. or you know I can't talk to people I can't get a job and stuff um, and I definitely can't go to university how would I do that so yeah. that's the stage that I got to when I was 19 and I ended up in hospital um, and the nurse that saw me was asking if I did it for attention and I just shut down and I couldn't respond yeah. at all. Couldn't get any words out. And I don't know how you respond to that. <laughs> I <don't> know. <laughs> but then, you know, I was referred on to a counsellor at a later date. And she was kind of guiding me to talk about specific events or traumas in my life that she thought was worthy of, um, you know, a suicide attempt when actually it was just mm-hmm. that I felt I didn't fit in. And her response was, you know, I then shut down and couldn't talk to her. And she was like, well, if you wanted my help, you would be talking to me. And That's frustrating. Yeah, it's so frustrating because it's just not the truth, is it? No, no, that's awful. I really just want everyone to <laughs> understand it, but it's so hard to get um, get it out there. And it really hurt. it does a lot of damage when people do misunderstand it, especially professionals that you would kind of hope would be able to help you. It hurts the most when they don't get it. I yeah, think. for sure. I mean, you have you've come so, so far and I want to kind of know what has helped you and what you suggest to other people. Yeah. That's, it's really hard. <laughs> I, I feel like I try to tell, that's like the whole reason I started the podcast. I wanted to tell my story and what helped for me, mm. even though it's different for everyone. Um, I think I was really lucky to get an early diagnosis at five years old, but that's not to say you can't make progress if you're older. You can be an adult and do amazing things and reach your goals. Um, it's just harder to find treatment, but I I don't know. I think for me, (laughs) I went on medication at an early age. Now that is something people aren't comfortable with sometimes, um, but it was definitely like a big change for me. Not that it, I took a magic pill and it started (laughs) making me talk. I, that's not what happened. I wanted to talk and I was in constant fear (laughs) in a lot of situations. And that just kind of lowered it down where I could function better and do what I wanted to do um and I don't think there's anything wrong with that I don't think it changed my personality it made me more myself um and there's no shame in taking that medication for anxiety or whatever mental health disorder you're dealing with um so that was definitely a big help Um, I was also lucky to have a therapist who knew about selective mutism and had treated other kids with it, which I know is hard to find for some people, unfortunately, but that is super important because I hear stories of families not getting very far in therapy because they're like, oh, my kid won't even talk to the therapist. (laughs) Like, how do we do anything? Like, how do you make any progress when they won't even talk to them? Mm. Um, But people who are trained in selective mutism know how to work up to that Um, yeah and I think it's okay to like just transfer to a different (laughs) therapist and try a few before you find the right one for you too and we don't always give ourselves permission to do that yeah 
there's nothing wrong with referring out either. If you are a therapist, you're like, I don't know what's going on. Someone else try. Um, there's no shame in that. It, there's also with selective mutism, there's this thing, people call it contamination, but that's kind of a weird word. Um, I guess it does get the point across though. So if a you have like an interaction with someone and you are unsuccessful at speaking, it becomes harder to talk to that person again, or they're contaminated, which sounds awful. <laughs> That's It's not supposed to be something bad. It's just how that learning history develops with that person. So I'd see like, if you have a long history of not speaking to a therapist, it might be harder to do so. Um, someone new might be easier yeah yeah that makes absolute sense that was also a big thing for me um yeah I switched schools in six for seventh grade the end of sixth grade going into seventh grade and I was able to kind of start fresh um that's not really an option for everyone but it's hard when like you've been in the same environment your whole school experience and you're with the same peers who have this like perception of you or at least you think they have a perception of you that might not be accurate but like having that fresh start just made such a difference for me I felt like I could kind of reinvent myself and start as myself yeah Um, I was convinced that that was what I needed too and when Mm -hmm. I left school and went to college I was like right it's gonna be different Mm -hmm. now it's definitely gonna be different and I went in there and like half the girls that I went to school with were sat in the room. So it was exactly the same. Oh no. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I had the same thing. I had a few people that went to the same school. Like we both switched school at the same time. And I was like, I just want a school where nobody knows me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think the other thing that you mentioned was about setting specific goals mm-hmm. um, and taking small comfort zone stretches. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's not an easy thing. It takes hard work and you have to be uncomfortable. (laughs) Like that's the hard part. You have to kind of accept that it's not going to be um, a comforting experience. (laughs) Like you can stay in your comfort zone and just never talk and never do the things that you want to do. Or you can challenge yourself and put yourself in these situations that... um, kind of push you (laughs) yeah but you can do that little steps at a time it doesn't have to be this big scary thing yeah and so much of this is applicable to both social anxiety and selective Mm -hmm. mutism and yeah it's it's kind of like you know we're kind of protecting ourselves and avoiding stuff and Mm -hmm. avoiding being seen um because we think like something really bad will happen if we do if we are seen and and heard yeah but yeah when you sort of future pace and you're like well if in five years time if I haven't done this if I haven't stretched myself mm-hmm. like where am I going to be and what if yeah. I do do it where could I be then I mean look at how amazing yeah. you are doing you. <laughs> <laughs> I swear like the podcast has been like therapeutic because part of all of this is not wanting to be vulnerable and I kind of just force myself to share like (laughs) the scariest parts of my past like to me that was not good I felt like my childhood was like really hard um Mm. and sharing that with other people and being vulnerable and also getting good feedback 
while doing that is so rewarding. Um, it just shows me that it doesn't have to be scary. <laughs> um, it can it must have been. Be, it must yeah. have been really scary to start it. Like what? Yeah. Pushed, what pushed you to do it? I don't really know where it came from. I was like, I love podcasts, so I listen to them all the time. Um, and I was just curious one day, I was like, I wonder if there's any about selective mutism because I see all these cool new resources now that they didn't exist when I was a kid. So I was like, there's probably a podcast. There's a podcast about everything. But at the time there wasn't. So I was like, maybe I'll do it. I don't know how hard it is to start a podcast, but um, you were the first. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were episodes about it, which is nice, but there was no like this is all we talk about. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause there's so much to talk about. So it makes sense to have a podcast. I love the way that you have, the, have other guests on and, mm-hmm. you know, people yeah. with experience with their parents again. Mm-hmm. We've had really <laughs> awesome guests. Yeah. How did you feel about doing that public speaking? Yeah. It's weird because public speaking is like, <laughs> our biggest fears if you have anxiety um and it's weird because I felt like I had overcome selective mutism at a certain point like I was speaking to classmates and I could answer questions in class and I could raise my hand and say something if I wanted to but getting up in front of people and presenting something was like would just shut me down yeah (laughs) so I was like I thought I was past all this but then I was still having panic attacks and um I remember going to school one day and I was supposed to give a presentation that day and I just immediately threw up the second I got out of the car to go into school and I used to just like hide in the bathroom and try not to faint because I didn't want to like make a scene and get more attention for fainting (laughs) so I would go hide and try to faint in private (laughs) but I I don't really know like how I somehow managed to (laughs) start presenting it seems like I went through a few really bad presentations and I used to have teachers that would let me like do it privately like one-on-one after school or do it with like a smaller group of peers so that's definitely helpful and it can help you like work up to that Mm. Um, but a big thing is like feeling unprepared and not knowing what you're talking about like if you're very fluent in what you're presenting it takes like less brain power to do it and if you don't really know if you're not super confident with what you're presenting it's like you shut down from the anxiety and the extra pressure of having to think all that through yeah that makes sense yeah yeah absolutely so again I'm hearing about taking a comfort zone stretch and doing it bit by bit yeah step by step yeah And you have recently, I guess, stretched your comfort zone yet again and written a book. I did. Yes. I've been wanting to write a book for so long. Um, I actually started writing like a longer like memoir, but I, I don't know why. It's been really hard to write and like relive these moments that were really hard. Mm. And I kind of I think this was like a coping mechanism to writing this children's book because it's kind of like I'm still writing a book but it's easier and I don't know it was easier to write and it was really fun to do the illustrations um and it's called I am brave you can find it on Amazon 
I've been like blown away. I keep getting messages from people like saying their kid loved it and like pictures of them holding it <laughs> makes me want to cry. Um, I just can't imagine like having a book like that. Like if I was a kid and I found a book that explained what I was experiencing, I would think that would make you feel so much more um, comfortable and like less alone. I always felt like I was mm. the only one who was experiencing that. So that's what I wanted <laughs> to do by writing it. That's so beautiful. I am brave. So that is, you know, yes. help helping young kids, I guess, who are mm-hmm. experiencing selective mutism. Yeah. It's very short. It's probably for like kindergarten. I don't know what they say in the UK. Um, like four to five year olds, maybe yeah. the next school year above that too. I just, it's, I dealt with like a lot of low self-esteem as a kid and um, not being able to talk and like do the things I wanted to do made me feel bad about myself. So in my book, I wrote like positive affirmations, like the character reminds herself like all the awesome things about herself whenever she feels like she can't do something. So I just wanted to teach kids that they can stay positive and still love themselves. That's so cute. Oh, I think I'm going to have to go and buy a copy for, uh, for my niece and nephews now. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So is there a practice that you use? You mentioned that you used to have low self-esteem and confidence. Is there something that you still use to boost that? Um. Let's see. It's more like I've gone through like CBT um, and... I found that to be pretty helpful, like just reframing your thoughts and like challenging them because a lot you have so many thoughts flying through your head when you're anxious and it's good to just stop and say like, oh, is that actually true? And is that accurate? And is that thought helping me in any way? Or is it, can we just kind of move on past it? Because I think you kind of like, you can get stuck on certain thoughts and it, um, can kind of tear away at you so it's good to just see them as like separate little things going through your head that you don't have to buy into Um, yeah so then we become like the observer of the thought rather than the thought itself yeah I also um I really love acceptance acceptance commitment therapy which I am trying to learn more about it's kind of like a branch off of behavior analysis which is what my master's degree is in but we didn't talk a lot about um act yeah I've heard so much good stuff about it yeah and I think it would be really helpful for teens and adults who are um struggling with like anxiety and selective mutism yeah yeah for sure so at this point how comfortable are you feeling in the world (laughs) I feel pretty good I'm I'm pretty confident in certain areas. I feel like I uh, definitely still struggle, which is okay. And I think it's important to tell people like um, you can like it's a lifelong journey. (laughs) Anxiety doesn't kind of disappear for me, at least. Um, It's just always there. And I feel like learning to manage it and um, not let it hold me back from what I want to do is super important. Yeah, I I think it's important to acknowledge that it's a really normal human emotion. Mm -hmm. And the more I speak to people, the more I realize that we all feel anxious at times. We're all Mm -hmm. self-doubting and 
you know the difference between the people that we look at and view as successful Mm -hmm. and the way that we feel about ourselves is just that the people that we view as successful have pushed through and done the thing that they're scared of anyway yeah um, whereas I was always kind of like, I'll oh, just wait until I feel confident. And then that day yeah. never ever came. Yes. <laughs> and there's something about perfectionism too, because you want it to be perfect. And um, it, if you just do it, it kind of, it doesn't have to be perfect. You kind of realize like, oh, why was I holding back? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's, I think Brene Brown talks about perfectionism being like the 20 ton shield or something. Yes. <laughs> I love Brene Brown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just another piece of armor. It's not really, yeah. you know, it's, it's not a part of our personality. It's just a coping strategy that we've learned to kind of hide mm-hmm. ourselves away and avoid criticism, I guess. Yeah. So if you were to look back and give your younger self some advice, what would you offer? Yeah. Um, I would tell myself that I am not alone and there's other people that go through the same thing and it's totally normal (laughs) and you can get through it. Um, If it really feels like you can't and it feels like it's the most impossible thing to do, but if you work on it little by little, it is um, possible. Absolutely. I feel like that's the biggest thing. It's the very first step in moving through that social anxiety as well is just realizing you're not alone and mm-hmm. being a part of a community of people who really get it and understand and, and know where you're coming from. Yeah, for sure. So where can we find you, Chelsea? Yeah, um, you can find the book and everything and all the podcast episodes on our website. It's outloudsm.com. Um, we also have, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. We have sub we have the Facebook group which is really cool um and feel free to ask any questions or reach out I love to hear from people that's my favorite part of doing all this thank you so much yeah brilliant okay um yeah I absolutely suggest people go and listen to your podcast as well and um, we'll pop all the links on the show notes for this episode for you awesome thank you so much for coming in and chatting to us Chelsea this has been really really useful thank you for having me it was really good thanks for listening you can find the show notes from this episode at quietconnections.co.uk if you found this episode helpful then please tell a friend about it or share on social media With gratitude for the support of the National Lottery Community Fund.